Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. Near Isle is with me now, the author of the book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. I love this book. I've really been looking forward to talking to Nir about how he became indistractable and how he advises that we do it too. He's lectured at Stanford Graduate School. He's talked a lot about hacks in life. He has another book called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. He's well aware of the psychology and the impact of technology and how we use it in our day-to-day lives. Nir, welcome to Trending. I really look forward to talking to you today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Let's talk a little bit about why you wrote this book. I know that you had an eye-opening moment in your own life where a distraction kind of became a reality to you uh, with regard to your family relationships. Yes, there was uh, one particular moment that really made me reassess my relationship with distraction, and this happened when I was with my daughter one afternoon. We had this time set aside, just some quality daddy-daughter time, and I remember we had this activity book of different things that dads and daughters could do together just to kind of bond, you know, like uh, have a paper airplane throwing contest or do a Sudoku puzzle. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. The question was, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember that question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said. Because in that moment, for whatever reason, I started looking at my phone. I just wanted to do this one quick thing on my device. And before I knew it, when I looked up, she was gone because she had gotten a very clear message that I was sending that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And she left the room to play with some toy outside. And that's when I realized I had to really rethink my relationship with distraction because if I'm honest with you, it didn't just happen with my daughter. It would happen when I would say, okay, I'm going to exercise today, but I didn't. Or I'm going to eat healthfully, but I wouldn't. Or (laughs) I'm going to really work on that big project at, at, at the office today, but somehow it slipped away and I didn't get to it. And so if you ask me today what superpower I would most want, it's the power to be indistractable, the power to follow through on whatever it is you say you want to do with your time, your attention, and your life. So Nir, you have said in your book that you've done it. You've really worked on distraction. I know it's not perfect for everyone um, that we all can be distracted still, but how did you do it? You know, you trained and kind of took a different direction. Clearly, you're good at not being distracted. You've written a few books. Uh, you know, you have this incredible education. You've taught at a very high collegiate level. What do you do to not be so distracted from all of the challenging things that are pinging us throughout the day? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not easy necessarily, right? And many things that are worth having in life are not easy. So we shouldn't expect it to be easy, but it is very doable. We absolutely can become indistractable. And, and listen, I, I wrote the book for me <laughs> more than anyone else. I found that I was incredibly distractible. Uh, and, and so here's what I did. I, I really went down to first principles and I tried to understand what does this word distraction even mean? You know, we, it's one of those things we think we understand, but when we really dive deep, many people don't get its fundamental nature that if you, if you ask people, what is the opposite of distraction? Most people will tell you it's focus, right? We don't want to be distracted. We want to be focused, but that's not exactly right. 
that the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction, that both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull, and they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action, reminding us that traction is not something that happens to us. Distraction is not something that happens to us. It is an action that we ourselves take. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. The opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you further from your goals, further away from your values, further away from becoming the kind of person you wanna become. So the difference is one word, and that one word is intent. That there's nothing wrong, we shouldn't moralize and medicalize uh, you know, going online or playing video games or going on social media. These things are not necessarily bad. It's that when we do them for the wrong reasons. So if you plan to give in to one of these distractions, so to speak, if you plan time to watch a movie, if you plan time to, uh, to, to do whatever it is you like to do with your time, anything, it's not up to me or anyone else to tell you what to do with your time. But if you plan for that time, it's automatically turned into traction. It's something you do with intent. However, if it's something that you did not plan to do, even, and let me tell you the, the worst kind of distraction, the worst kind of distraction happens when we don't even realize we're getting distracted. So this would happen to me every day. I would sit down at work. I would look at my long to-do list and I would think of, of, of okay, here I'm, here I'm going to get started on that big, important project. Nothing's going to get in my way. I'm going to get started right now. I'm not going to get distracted. But first, let me check some email. <laughs> right. Let me just uh, let me just do that 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 easy thing on my to do list real quick, just to get some momentum. Right. It's a work related task. I got to do it at some point in my day. And what I didn't realize is that that is the most pernicious form of distraction. The distraction that tricks you into prioritizing the easy and urgent at the expense of the hard and important work we have to do to move our lives, our careers forward. So just because something is a work related task doesn't mean it's not a distraction. If it's not what you said you were going to do with your time, it is by definition a distraction. So now we have no, traction, we have distraction. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's interesting. I want to kind of come to that email connection because I am curious your thoughts here. I find that many people um, get stuck in the day-to-day -day work and they're really asking that question, is email a distraction or is it making traction? Like, is it making progress at what I need to do? And I find a lot of people just find themselves stuck in their email box all day, not really achieving what they'd mm -hmm. like to do to make them, you know, a higher achiever within work. What's your philosophy with email specifically? So email is not evil. It's a, it's a wonderful tool if it's used correctly, just like every other tool. And so what a lot of people do is they, they get stuck in what's called reactive work. Reactive work is the kind of work that, that fills most people's days. It's reacting to meetings, reacting to phone calls, reacting to emails, reacting, reacting all day long. That's reactive work. Now, what people, what high performers do is they have at least some time in their day for what's called reflective work. Low performers spend all day stuck in reactive work. High performers put time in their schedule for reflective work, the kind of work that can only be done without distraction. Planning, thinking, strategizing, being creative. You've mm -hmm. got to put that time in your schedule because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. I'm gonna say that again. You cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you have a big white calendar filled with open space, you can't say you got distracted. What did you get distracted from? So if you put time in your calendar for email, for prayer, for exercise, for whatever, anything you wanna do with your time and attention, that is by definition traction but you have to plan the time for it. These kind of things don't happen on their own. So for example, with email, what most people do is they check email 
whenever they feel what's called an internal trigger. And this is super <laughs> important. So there are two kinds of triggers. There are what we call external triggers and internal triggers. External triggers are what people think about when they think about distraction. You know, the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in our outside environment that can lead us towards distraction. But it turns out, studies have found that that is only the source of 10% of our distractions. 10% of our distractions are caused by things outside of us in our outside environment, all those pings, dings, and rings. So what's the other 90%? 90% of our distractions don't start from outside of us, but rather 90% of our distractions begin from within. And this Can is incredibly important. This is what I've discovered. Absolutely. So internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states mm. that we seek to escape. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety. These uncomfortable sensations are the root cause of almost all of our distractions. So let me tell you, I don't care if it's too much news, too much booze, too much Facebook, too much football. You will always find a distraction in one thing or another if you don't understand what is that internal trigger, that uncomfortable emotional itch that you are seeking to escape to. So to answer your question, checking email when it's on your schedule is fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. But checking email when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you don't know what else to do, so you mm -hmm. check email, now it becomes a problem. Now it becomes a distraction because it's taking you away from what you said you were going to do with your time. And I think that it's interesting because email or whatever thing you check, news, social media, maybe it's even browsing through photos, uh, it's kind of getting into some like, deep level work of figuring out what's happening in particular with me. How do I get over those uncomfortable emotions? Nir Isle is here. Nir, can you explain your four-part model for becoming indistractable to tease us and give us some of those tips that you have in your book? Absolutely. So the we talked earlier about traction and distraction. So if you could think of two arrows pointing to the left and to the right, those represent traction and distraction. And now we have those external triggers. We also talked about those triggers. For, so think of two arrows bisecting from the top and bottom. Those are the triggers that lead us towards traction or distraction. And those two types of triggers are external triggers and internal triggers. So now we have kind of the four points of this compass that we can work around to become indistractable. So step number one, is master the internal triggers. If you don't master these uncomfortable emotional states that lead us to distraction, they will become your masters. So we've gotta find ways to make sure that we can master those internal triggers. So that's step number one. We can go into further depth there as well. Step number yes, two is make time for traction. So, so making time for traction is all about planning out in advance what you want to do with your time. And it can be for anything that's important to you. It can be for prayer. It could be time to exercise. It could be time with your family. Heck, it could be time playing video games if you want. There's nothing wrong with, with playing video games or having fun. That's, that's great. As long as it's done on your schedule and according to your values, not someone else's. Step number three is hack back the external triggers. This is where we talk about all those pings, dings, and rings, how we can make sure that we can hack back so that they aren't hacking us. And then finally, preventing distraction with packs. So the fourth step, is to use what's called a pre-commitment device. It's when we have some type of step that we take today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. So it's really about these four steps in concert. This is how anyone can become indistractable. This is excellent. So you walk through in your book all the ways we can work on this. I want to focus first on one area, and that is the traction area. You mentioned that you need to mm. essentially know what you want to achieve in order to achieve anything. Um, so it's kind of setting those goals. So in order to do that, do you recommend having you know those three tasks for the day, or how do you do this personally? 
Yeah, so it's really about using what's called time boxing. So time boxing has been shown to be the most effective time management uh, technique you can use. And this isn't just because I say so. This has been studied in thousands of peer-reviewed journals. So the way time boxing works, it's it's using a, a technique called making an implementation intention, which is just a fancy way of saying planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. So unless you're retired or a child, you have to plan your day. Right. If, if you know that you are capable of more, if you are if you know that you're able to do things that currently you're not doing because you're going off track, it's likely because you're not planning your time appropriately. And I mean, down to the minute. OK, so what does that look like? That means we have to take our calendar. We look at our calendar and we decide for ourselves how we want to spend our time. And we do this in these three life domains. These three life domains start with you. You're at the center of these these three life domains. If you can't take care of yourself, can't take care of others, can't make the world better, you have to plan time for yourself. So what does that look like? Well, how much time do you have planned for rest? How much time do you have planned for for prayer? How much time do you have for reading, for anything that you want to do? And you could toss in some fun stuff in there as well. If you like to, I don't know, go on social media or play video games or whatever it is you like to do with your time, put it in your calendar. Literally write it down. Time for social media, time for prayer, time for exercise. Put it in your schedule. The next, uh, the next of these life domains is your relationships. One of the reasons that we have a loneliness epidemic in this country is that we don't have the time in our calendar scheduled as past generation did for our friendships. Do you have time to see your friends? Do you have time to see your family? Do you have time to see, you know, scheduled out for your kids, that quality time with your spouse perhaps? Have it on your calendar. And then finally, your work. And this is what we talked about earlier between reactive work and reflective work. Most people spend most of their days doing only reactive work, reacting to meetings, emails, pings, notifications. But if you don't plan that time for reflective work, what's going to happen is you're going to run real fast in the wrong direction. So make sure you have that time in your schedule as well. And the reason this is so important is that it forces you to make trade-offs. It forces you to understand that we all only have 24 hours in a day. So by making that plan, now you can look at your schedule and say, ah, what I plan to do is traction. Everything else is distraction. And so this is how we turn our values into time. If you want to see what somebody's values really are, not just what they say they are, but what are somebody's values really, it's how they spend their money and how they spend their time. So we want to turn our values into time by making time for traction. Oh boy. Okay. I have so many questions, but I want to take one question that came in. And the question is this, is it better to have email notifications instead of just going and checking your email? And I would ask the question about anything, you know, maybe it's text messages or whatever it might be. Where's the balance in your opinion with regard to notifications? Yeah. So this is a good one. So we have to make sure that, so notifications, these pings, dings, and rings are examples of what we call external triggers. And the rule with external triggers is that they have to serve you you don't serve them. So that means that if you said you're going to spend time with your daughter as I was, and now I get some stupid notification on my phone because there's an email or ping, ding, or ring, or who knows what else came into my phone, now I'm distracted because I'm not fully present with someone I love very much. Mm -hmm. So the rule here is that you want those external triggers to serve you, which by and large means you have to turn them off. Now, the good news is everybody's phone these days comes with these features, right? There's the do not disturb feature that comes on almost everyone's phone today. If, you have a, if you've updated your, your operating system on your phone, you can with one button go into silent mode and you can turn off all those, those notifications so that you can do what you really want to do, whether it's time to engage in prayer, time with your family, time for dinner, time for exercise, turn them off when it says in your calendar that you want to do something else. Mm-hmm. 
I love this. And you know, I now, want now, to put my you, phone on it, airplane And you, mode you know you can get back to them. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the rules, by the way, a big mistake most people make is that they sleep next to their cell phone. That's yes. a big mistake. You want to sleep with your cell phone in another room. Don't charge it next to your bed because you know if you leave it to the last minute, they're going to get you. It's going to be the first thing you reach for in the morning before you even say hello to your loved one. So you want to make sure that, that you hack back those external triggers. There's a book that came out a few years ago written by Near Isle called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. This will make you happier, but what's fascinating to me is that much of what Near talks about is that the, all these things that we think are actually distracting us, the pings, the dings, that's 10% of it. It is distracting us us but the other 90% is mastering our uncomfortable emotions and those things that just lead us to look for distractions. Nira, I want to talk a little bit about how you eliminate distraction. You have this awesome chart for the four ways that you work on distraction. I'll post a link on social media but one of the things you say is we have to work on the distraction side by making packs with ourselves to eliminate the distraction. Can you give me some examples of how we can do that in our day-to-day lives? Absolutely. So the fourth step to becoming indistractable, after you master the internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, the fourth step is to prevent distraction with pacts. Now, a pact is a pre-commitment. It's when we decide in advance what we will do when we are tempted to go off track. So there are three types of these pre-commitments. There is what's called a price pact, an effort pact, and an identity pact. And so we can use, there's lots of different, there's over a dozen different types of, of, of uh, different uh, techniques you can use that I talk about in the book in this specific chapter. I'll, I'll mention one in particular that I think is very helpful. So my wife and I, for, for years, uh, as I was writing this book, we noticed that we weren't getting enough sleep because we had a, you know, a bunch of things to wrap up. My daughter needed this, and then we would do that, and then uh, you know, one more thing here and there. Uh, and then many times we would spend the evening scrolling away on our phones or on our iPads catching up with whatever we had to had to do. And we knew this was really having a negative impact on our sleep. And we know how important sleep is for our mental and physical well-being. So uh, in the course of doing the research that led to my book, remember, I, I wrote the book for me. I was incredibly distracted. <laughs> so I really wanted to dive into the science of why we get distracted. And so one technique that I came across is, is making what's called an effort pact. An effort pact is when you put a bit of work, a bit of effort, some friction in between you and the distraction. So to stop this problem that we had of scrolling late into the night and then this affecting our sleep, what I did was I went to the hardware store and I bought us a, a, this outlet timer. It's you know maybe $5. It's this little timer that you can buy at any hardware store that anything you plug into this outlet timer will turn on or off at a particular time of day or night. So in my household until this very day, at 10 p.m., my internet router automatically shuts off. Automatically. Now, could I go and turn it back on? Of course I could. But now I'd have to go under my desk and unplug it and replug it. It's kind of a hassle. There's effort. There's friction there to, to, to turning it back on. So what that allows me to do is to pause for a second and be mindful as opposed to mindlessly scrolling. I can stop a second and say, wait a minute. What are really my values? What do I really want to do with my time? What did I plan to do now? Well, I plan to get ready to for bed and go to sleep <laughs> as opposed to scrolling and scrolling. So that would be an example of how you can use an effort pact in advance to make sure that you don't get distracted. But that remember, that's the fourth step. We have to do the other three steps first. But that fourth step can be very, very effective. 
And I appreciate that because I think a lot of the time near we eliminate or kind of reduce our uh, distraction to needing these hacks and the hacks are extremely helpful. You know, I'll lock my phone in in a drawer. I'll leave it in the other room. I won't take it out with me on the weekends and just leave it at home. These things are extremely helpful. But like you said, these other challenges are really important. And one of those earlier of the four steps you mentioned are distractions. And in your book, you have a distraction tracker that I love. And I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about it and how it helps with working through those internal distractions that we need to hack away first most. Absolutely. So these internal triggers, uh, as opposed to the external triggers, remember the external triggers are the pings, dings, and rings in our outside environment. The internal triggers are these uncomfortable sensations. And this is this icky, sticky truth that we don't like to talk about, that the reason we get distracted, again, whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, the reason we get distracted, by and large, is because we are feeling something we don't want to feel, whether it's loneliness, boredom, anxiety, uncertainty, stress. What do we do? What do most people do? They try and escape that discomfort, right? They take a drink, they scroll, they watch TV, they do something to take their mind off of that uncomfortable sensation. Well, what we want to do, what high performers do, is that they use that discomfort to lead them towards traction rather than trying to escape it with distraction. So if you can start tracking these distractions, if you can say to yourself, well, look, I plan to be with my kids, but now I check my phone. I plan to go exercise, but instead I stayed and watched TV. I plan to, to pray, but instead I, you know, who knows what, did something else that I didn't intend to do. Now you can look back at that and say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What was the preceding emotion? What was I feeling before I got off track? And if you can start using this distraction tracker, which is a simple action of writing down what you did, what you got distracted from, and what were you feeling before you got distracted. Now, simply by putting a name to that sensation, by saying, I was stressed, I was anxious, I was uncertain, I was lonely, now you can start addressing those internal triggers. You can do something about it so that it doesn't keep happening again and again. I really appreciate this because, again, it's kind of a little bit of emotional work. And I know people hate to hear that. You know, when you hear, oh, we're talking about distraction, they say, hey, it's not just the pings and dings. It's actually working through that discomfort, that emotion that's so important. I see it. You know, I travel. I'm in the airport and there's someone very uncomfortable looking at people in front of him. And so he starts to pick up his phone and I can see his phone. He's doing nothing on his phone screen but scrolling because he's uncomfortable. And in a certain sense, that mm -hmm. is a distraction. We should be able to just sit and relax at a moment in a public space. But the distraction, the internal discomfort is so severe today for so many people that this whole topic of distraction isn't just about productivity at work or family relationships, uh, but even just being comfortable with ourselves in those day-to-day -day moments of downtime. Absolutely. And this is truly the skill of the century, that there is a bifurcation now of people who will let their time and attention be manipulated and controlled by others and people who mm -hmm. say, no, I am indistractable. I control my time. I control my attention. And the difference between those people comes down to fundamentally who can control their internal triggers, who needs to escape their discomfort by trying to drink it away or scroll it away or do whatever to take their mind off of that discomfort versus the people who can say, I'm indistractable. I'm going to use that discomfort as traction, right? The, what I learned in my research is that high performers, they still feel these internal triggers. They still, still feel the discomfort, but they use it to their advantage. They use it like rocket fuel 
to propel them towards traction as opposed to escaping it with distraction. Can you give me an example, Nir, of a high-performing workflow? So, you know, say you're in the middle of the day and you say, okay, I know I need to work on emails in the morning. I know there's going to be a lot of back and forth uh, meetings or maybe with me, you know, I'm with my toddler all morning and it isn't until she goes down for nap that I really sit down to get my work done. And it needs to be a high-focus, high-achieve. One of the tools I like to use is the Pomodoro technique with timers. What do mm-hmm. you do in that mm-hmm. high-achieving time and how do you stay on track with reflection? Active work rather than reactive work to emails, phone calls, and text messages or people popping in and out of your office. Absolutely. So I stick religiously to a time box calendar so I know what I'm going to do and when I'm going to do it. And I don't measure myself. This is a really important thing. Many people, they use this this really antiquated technique of using a to-do list and that's it. And and that's a big (laughs) mistake because to-do lists make you measure yourself based on how many cute little boxes you check off. And so what do people do? <laughs> they do the easy stuff, right? Because that's easy. I, I can check off the easy. It feels good to check off those boxes. So they do the easy stuff first. Uh, or, you know, I've even known people who will do something and then write it on their to-do list so they can get the joy after they've done it. Of checking <laughs> hey, off the it box. feels well, good, Nier. <laughs> <laughs> it feels good. But here's what I want you to try. Instead of measuring yourself by how many cute little boxes you checked off, I want you to try a different metric. The new metric should be Did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? Notice I didn't say, did I finish? That's not the metric. It's, did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? If you can do that, turns out, studies find, you will get more done than the people who use a cute little to-do list checkbox method. Why? Because now there's a feedback loop. Now they can say, oh, okay, I said I was gonna do this for 15 minutes, Look how much I got done. Okay, if I need to do, ten, you know, if I did 10% now, I'm going to de- need to do 10 more of these time boxes in order to finish 100% of the task. Now there's a feedback loop, as opposed to what most people do is, oh, I have a thing that's on my to-do list. They work on it for five minutes, then they get bored or or uh, stressed, and then they do something else for another five minutes, and they're fracturing their attention. We call it time confetti, as opposed to saying, nope, I'm just going to do this one thing for 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is. And I'm going to measure myself by whether I was able to do that thing that I said I was going to do without distraction. So do you use timers throughout the day during that time blocked blocked out calendar? Absolutely. So yeah, it's open on my screen and uh, I have it open uh, almost the whole day where I know exactly what I'm supposed to be working on. So that that is in fact the only way I know if I got distracted. If I look at my calendar and it says, okay, I'm going to check email for 30 minutes, or I've got, you know, two hours to play with my daughter, or I'm going to work on a presentation for an hour, knowing that it's in my calendar, that's how I know whether I'm on track or off track. And in fact, that's the only way you can know. I am laughing. There's a part in your book. There's actually a cutout in your book for giving a red light to people who might come up and disturb you when you're trying to yeah. make traction and be reflective. How do you handle all of the distractions that come up to the, during the day, especially people who might approach you or rejecting even something such as a phone call? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is a, a great question because we know the number one source of distraction in the workplace It's not email, uh, it's not Slack notifications, it's other people. The number one source of distraction at work is other people. You know, someone coming by your desk and saying, hey, do you have the TPS report or did you hear this office gossip or whatever it might be, (laughs) right? So that turns out to be a huge source of distraction. So every copy of my book, Indistractable, comes with this uh, piece of cardstock, this red cardstock that you mentioned that you pull out of the book, you fold into thirds and you put it on your computer monitor when you have time to be indistractable. And it says, I'm indistractable at the moment, 
please come back later. So it's very, very effective in the office. It's just a simple reminder. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working right now. It, I won't work for very, I'm not going to be indistractable for very long. You can come back later because I have that time in my schedule as well. But for this time, I need to work without distraction because truly that is only the, that is the only way to get real work done is to work without distraction. Now, many people listening are working from home. Uh, mm-hmm. it, when when, when yes. I was uh, writing this book, my daughter was only six years old and she would constantly interrupt us while we were trying to work. My wife and I both work from home. And so what, what do you do when it's not your coworkers, when it's your kids? Well, yes. there's a wonderful technique you can use and this is called using the concentration crown. So when my daughter was only six years old, we bought this crazy little uh, wreath that my wife would put on her head that lights up. We bought it on Amazon for only $5. And we told my daughter when she was only six years old, okay, when mommy is wearing the concentration crown, that means she needs time to work. So unless you're bleeding, please don't interrupt. That's the rule in our household. If you're bleeding, you can interrupt. But unless you're bleeding, find something else to do. And we gave her many activities that she could uh, occupy her time with. And it works like a charm because when the concentration crown is on, she clearly knows not to interrupt her mother. And by the way, this not only works with children, it works very well with husbands as well, because I used to interrupt my wife all the time. (laughs) And now I know when she's wearing the concentration crown, that's the time that she needs to be uh, left alone. I love these hacks and your tips. Your book is so candid and helpful. Pick up the book Indistractable by Nir Isle. That's N-I-R-I-L, spelled E-Y-A-L. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nir. We're going to have to have you on again soon.